God's word is coming to the Makondi people, and uh, our church is going to join in that effort. And now's the opportunity for you to begin to think about taking part in that with us. So we're very excited. Our theme this year, Make Your Life Count for Zero. And one of those goals, as you see on the posters on each side, is zero languages without the Word of God. Over 4,000 languages do not have the scriptures in the heart language of those people. Of those 4,000, 2,000 do not have any portion of scripture at all. But 4,000, 2,000, those are doable numbers. Amen? Those are doable numbers and never in the lifetime of the church, never in the lifetime of the church of Jesus Christ have we been closer, have more resources, more opportunity, and more technology. What we need are surrendered hearts to take part in the process. And so we as a church are going to do that. And as Pastor Bruce shared about faith promise, we're making that commitment. This is on top of your faith promise. You're like, where's the exit? Get me out of here. This church is you know, like crazy. Well, hey, this isn't going into our pockets. This isn't going into the coffers of the church. This is going out to the peoples of the world. This is going out to these 7,000 people groups that you see lined around here. If you're into getting investment into other people groups for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're into this. And just realize this, God gives more to those who give. And the reason he does that is because they keep giving what he keeps giving. And so if you're running dry in resources, if your budget is not being stretched, I want to ask you to examine, well, am I giving? Because when I give back to God, he just keeps pouring it through because he said, here's a channel through which I can continue to bless other people. And in that process, we get blessed. And so we're going to go for that, and we'll explain to you how uh, in small ways, in small little sacrifices, we can invest $25 a verse in order to get the entire Gospel of Mark to the Makonde people in Tanzania. And so Mitch is going to be preaching. He's there in Tanzania. He's going to talk about that. But back in the back, there's all sorts of information about this people, over a million speakers. You can get that information, stick it in your Bible. And wouldn't it be great if by, the in, by next World Outreach, these pieces of paper in our Bible are soaked in tears over praying for for tears of joy, tears of brokenness, for getting the word over a million speakers who do not have the Bible in their language. Well, we're blessed to have Kent Herschelman from the Seed Company, and they're going to be our partners. We couldn't do it without them, so give Kent a hand, and he's going to tell us a little bit. Good morning. Well, it's a thrill to be in this partnership with you. And what I'd like to do this morning is just give you a couple little snapshots real quickly. One of the seed company, one of the Maconde people, one of, the, of an update on what's happening in that project. Um, the seed company began in 1993 as a result of realizing that we weren't getting the results we were looking for in Wycliffe Bible Translators. Now we were doing a great job working hard uh, we were seeing people come to the Lord. We were seeing scriptures get translated. But at that time, there were still over 3,500 languages that had no scripture and that we had no idea how we were going to do it. Our leaders in 1999 formulated a vision called Vision 2025. And the vision was that we would start 
translation in every language that needed it by 2025. Well, the seed company was formed in that atmosphere. And uh, we've seen God do just some amazing things. In, in 1993, our first decade, we finished up in 2003. We saw 200 people groups have translation work begun among them in the first, for the first time. Even more exciting, it was getting done. Uh, and then the, our last decade, we have started 800 languages. We'll be starting our 800th language early in 2014. So that's pretty incredible. But our goal is even more incredible, to start all the rest of them in the next 10 years, 1967 plus a number of sign languages. So we're very excited about that. We're very excited about your involvement with the Makande. The Makande people are really interesting people. Uh, they follow a major world religion, but they're really, they really still do their traditional religion too. So they, they kind of mix that all up together, but when push comes to shove, they'll follow their traditional religion. Uh, they uh, migrated to Tanzania north from uh, Mozambique during a war there. So they've been in Tanzania for quite a while. They're a patrilineal society, which means the, a couple things. One is they trace their roots through their father's genealogy and usually the head of the house and the leadership men take that. Uh, they're subsistence farmers. They raise a few animals, chickens, pigs, and maybe some beef. Uh, their lives are filled with fear and suspicion and jealousy, which really creates a problem for them uh, uh, advancing as a society. Uh, they have a strong sense of national pride. 9% of the Makondi people claim to be Christians. Uh, the team that's doing the translation, now it's part of a larger group, a cluster group, three languages involved in this entire project. The Makondi are one of them. This team, Makondi team is made up of three mother tongue translators and some other folks who are support people like somebody has to keyboard. Uh, the project started in 2011. It's scheduled to finish in 2015. So you can be planning your trip over there to go to the New Testament dedication. Uh, the project goals, there's several things involved in this project that they're doing. They want to do the Jesus film, so we translate the Gospel of Luke and the Jesus film script and the Jesus film people come in and put it on film. Uh, they want to finish the New Testament. They're doing Bible storing, chronological storing. It's telling the story of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation, usually a train of about 30 to 50 stories. Um, and then they want to produce some Christian education materials for the church to use and be able to disciple people with that. Uh, the work is being done through multiple agencies and partners, and, and the results are really exciting. The team has finished the first two chapters of Luke, and they're being revised. They're doing an exegetical check of Matthew. Uh, Luke is being community checked. Uh, three of the teams work together on an exegetical check of Mark. It's a 12-step program uh, of checking throughout the, the process. Each quarter, the team has been meeting or exceeding their goals. Uh, each team is highly motivated. They're committed to getting the Word of God for their people. Um, 
the people are coming to know the Lord through the stories. And can you imagine how thrilled the translators are to know that their work is having an immediate impact on people's lives? Uh, they produce these calendars with scripture verses on them and they're just extremely popular and they're posted all in government offices all over the place. And uh, so people are being presented with scripture in the Makandi language and being introduced to their own language in some cases in first time in written form. Um, the, the teams are currently on schedule, as I mentioned, or ahead of progress. As they complete stories, scripture and stories, it is having an immediate impact on the people because they're getting it out into their hands, into the churches immediately. Uh, the, recently a man was listening to some of the stories, an older man, and he heard the stories and he made an astounding pro proclamation. He said, I have seen God. I now understand the word of God, and I'm ready to be saved. Thank you for your investment in the Makondi people. Good morning. How's everybody doing? You guys looking good out there. Uh, I want to first just uh, add to what Kent said. Uh, we, uh, there is one young man in our youth department at church in Dar es Salaam that he's Makonde. And I was able to Skype with uh, Peter, his name is Peter, with Peter and some other Tanzanian youth. They're very excited. This whole thing about Skype's kind of a you know, crazy thing for them. Wow, there's pastor all in America on there. So they were seeing me. I was telling uh, Peter about this program to translate the, the, the uh, Bible into Makonde, his language. And I said, would that be helpful? He said, yeah, sure it would, because there are people in his village you know, while Swahili is kind of the general language, there are people in his villages, the Makondi villages, that don't speak Swahili. They probably aren't able to actually write Makonde either. But what we can do is we can send, if we get a copy of the Bible in Makonde, we can send evangelists to those villages. And what a great aid to the evangelists to be able to read a passage of Scripture. If you remember the other night, Brother Chang gave us, a, we did this little game where we had to kind of remember the passage. You know, what was the... It was like, who was that guy, the blind guy? And I could going, oh, yeah, what's his name? Start with a B. You know, we can't remember all the exact facts. Well, by, by having the Bible translate in the Makonde language, the evangelist or Bible teacher can go to those villages and actually read the passage of Scripture and help them. Also, with the MP3 and all the cell phones that they actually have in Tanzania now, they can, they can uh, we're able to uh, maybe put, put that on a radio, on, the, on a digi digitalize it as well. Uh, before we get started, I have to uh, say thanks to the leadership of this church, uh, for putting on an amazing conference. Beth and I were discussing this yesterday about how, just how well put together this is, how as missionaries we're always blessed because every time I come there's always something I get out of it, someone that uh, Chris or Bruce brings in to teach us as well, and that was a blessing the other night to have uh, Brother Chang to teach us about the orality, uh, his program. Uh, also, you guys gave, have given $20,000 Thank you to our building project, which I'm hoping is on above my head now. Is it? All right. I was told it would be. Uh, that, is a, that is the left side of the building. There's also to the right, you can't see, it's not quite in the picture, the feeding center is on the other side of there, but we're almost done. So, man, we so appreciate you guys and appreciate 
what you've done. In fact, what I want to do, I'm going to take a picture of you guys that gave so I can send this back to my Swahili friends in church so they can see that you, who the people are that gave this money. Okay, hey, hopefully this will work. And this whole technology thing, I'm going to... Yeah, so how do you do this? Okay. Okay. All right. All right, now smile, okay? Hey, one, two, three. Got it. I think one will be enough. All right, before progressing, I have to teach you one Swahili word, okay? In Tanzania, believers go around and they talk to each other, and usually what they might say when they greet someone is, Buona Asifiwe, which means praise the Lord. Okay, you got it? So I'm going to say Buona Asifiwe, and I want to teach you guys the response. Okay? So get your Swahili tongues ready. You know, make that, get that mouth ready for this. I'm going to say Buona Asifiwe, and the Swahili response to that is, Amen. Okay, you got it? <laughs> Okay, ready? Buona Asifiwe. Amen. You guys are so fluent already. I'm loving this. This is great. Anyway, uh, let's look in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. We've talked this week about zero people without the gospel, zero villages without a local church, zero groups without disciple makers, and zero oral learners without an oral Bible. Uh, these are lofty ideas and goals and targets that are exciting to write down on paper, but getting to zero in all these areas will be challenging, to say the least. Uh, there's a lady named Isabel Kuhn. She was a missionary to China in the 1900s, along with her husband, who's a Bible translator. And she said, I believe that in each generation, God has called enough men and women to evangelize all the yet unreached tribes of the earth. It is not God who does not call, it is man who will not respond. John Piper, a more contemporary, says all the money needed to send and support an army of self-sacrificing, joy-spreading ambassadors is already in the church. The question is, how do we get to zero? Let's read this passage and we'll pray. Then Jesus, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the, his, his harvest. Let's pray. Our dear most gracious Father, we thank you so much, God, for the chance to come, just to come share your word. God, this is your word, not my word. I pray you use it to speak to these people. God, I thank you for their commitment and their history of supporting missions. What a blessing uh, they are. God, we just pray you'll bless this church. I pray that they'll continue to be faithful in missions and giving and going. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look in that first couple of verses, we have Jesus is kind of, uh, he's looking around and he's been in the villages, ironically. Uh, he's been to the cities. He's been to these places preaching about the kingdom of God. He's been healing people. 
He's been healing the sick, casting out demons, and all these wonderful things. And as he looks at people, he has he comes to he he said it says that he it says that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. The first thing we need to get to zero is we need to see the world like Jesus sees the world. I mean, you look around at the, the wall, as they have called it, I've come to know, the wall, all these names that you see on the wall are names of different tribes. These are just, that I understand it, just the unreached people groups. There are millions. But Jesus was able to see the spiritual needs of the world. He was able to look in people and see that they needed Him, that they needed hope. We as believers, we as uh, church members, we as missionaries, we have to be able to see the world as Jesus sees the world. You know, uh, when I got these glasses a few years ago, I used to make fun of people who wore glasses. Not anymore. I was able to put these glasses on, and all of a sudden those words in the Bible that were so fuzzy, all of a sudden became very clear. Because I was able to see things through these glasses. I wish for one moment we could see the world the way Jesus sees the world. We look at the world today and the Joshua Project tells us there's 7 billion people in the world and 2 billion have had no exposure to the gospel. When Jesus sees those people, he moves with compassion. But those 2 billion people are also your neighbor next door too, don't forget them. The Bible's been translated, as uh, Brother Kent said, into, into the mother tongue of 87% of the world's population. Woo, that's great. But the remaining 13% require 2,000 more translations. We still have work to do, a lot of work to get to zero. There are the three large people groups in the world are Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists that make up probably most of the people on, this, on the wall, on these black posters on the wall. Tanzania alone... Half the population of Dar es Salaam where we work is Muslim. It's a daunting task when you drive, when you drive to you know, your ministry and, all, and the people you pass realizing half of these people don't know Christ. The Zoramo people that we work with, are, they're actually listed on your wall, I think. They're less than 1% Christian. The Dengareko, less than 2% Christian. The Makonde, they're 90% Muslim. What a blessing it would be to get the gospel spread around those Makonde villages where those Makonde Muslims are going to have a chance to read God's word in their own language. Pemba Island, uh, Mafia Island, Zanzibar. Some of you have visited Zanzibar. Uh, less than 2% Christian. That is a huge task. But the, but the first thing we have to understand, we have to be able to see the people of this world like Jesus sees the people of this world. In the ghetto where we work, 80% Muslim. 80%. The, most of the pregnancies in the ghetto where we work are illegitimate. In fact, that's the norm. In fact, some of the tribal customs are that the mothers will take, one day you'll see this group of mothers and they're parading their daughters around the street 
They're teenage daughters. And they're doing that to show the neighbors, the neighborhood boys, that these girls are ready to be taken. They want them to make babies. Wow. And it says he was moved with compassion, that kind of deep down, kind of, you know, just tear it means it kind of tore him up inside. Because when he saw the people, because they were without hope, they were weary and scattered and they were like sheep that had no shepherd, like they were being harassed by wolves. I remember going to one of the game parks one day, and I saw, we saw these three beautiful cheetah. And not far from those cheetah was a herd of zebras. And all of a sudden, one of those cheetahs got up and started walking around and kind of galloping, as, or kind of running along there, and all of a sudden, those zebras got real nervous. And they started kind of shuffling around, they're not where to go, and... You know, that's the way that people of the world are. They're kind of, they're like those sheep. They're kind of, they don't know where to go. They have no hope. And as Jesus spoke this, he's speaking of the Pharisees who been, have been, have been not been shepherds. In fact, they were the reason, they were well, part of the reason they were in this kind of condition. Jesus came to give them hope. And when you're in the ghetto, they're looking for hope. But you know, wherever you are in the world, people need hope. And the hope we have to give, Paul said in 1 Timothy 1 that, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. We have this hope. We are a blessed people. I put my faith in Christ when I was nine years old, and since nine years old, I've had this hope. To know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I have hope, and Jesus walks with me every day. And Isaiah Isaiah prophesied that the, in his name, in Christ's name, the Gentiles would have hope. That's us. There is a family in our church. They're a special family. They were, uh, 10 years ago, we started a manna feeding project. We were feeding these little street kids, basically. They were nine. There was two young men that came along. They were about nine and seven years old, and they were named Michael and Tumaini. Tumaini means hope. Their mother was a Muslim. The mother had been a Muslim all of her life. Her father was a Muslim. Her mother was a Muslim. Her family were Muslims. It goes way back. They were all Muslims. Mama Michael, she started bringing her two children, Michael and Tumaini, to the feeding center to get fed. And we started to feed those children. And, and that went on very well. And we... Every week in the feeding center, the, 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 the mothers are required to come for a teaching session. So we teach them about various things, and about the gospel, and about maybe practical things too about life. And, and finally, one day, Mama Michael, who is Michael's mother, her real name was Monaisha, which is a Muslim name, she came up to my office, and she said, Baba Katie, Katie's our middle daughter, so they, they call me Baba Katie, Baba Katie, I want to become a Christian. I said, I can help you with that. So I sat there in my office and I was able to lead Monaisha to Christ. So she could have that hope. So she could have that security knowing that Christ was her Savior and she had joy inside her. Well, Monaisha changed her name to Grace. She told me then, she says, can you go talk to my husband? 
sure, I'll go talk to your husband. Her husband was just kind of a lost man. He really wasn't kind of a Christian background, very nominal. He was an alcoholic, and he would come in with, he had violence in the home and was verbally abusive, physically abusive. And I went one day, and I sat down with Baba Michael at his house. And I explained the gospel to him, and he said, so you mean I've got to quit sinning and follow Jesus? That's about the size of it. He says, okay, I want to do that. And he bowed and put his, self, put his faith in Christ. And you know what? Because of the gospel, because of that hope that we presented there to these people. Mama Michael is the assistant women's leader at church. And Baba Michael is in training to be the pastor of the church. And those two little boys, well, say they'd grown up, Michael, who started playing the drums at church, he's leading music at the church now. Why? Because they got that hope. And that's what we do in missions. We're, we're taking that hope, and we look at it at the masses of people, and we, you know, we pick a country, and we go to it, and we share the blessedness of that hope of Jesus Christ because we should see the world like he sees the world. If you look around on these, this wall, it's... Uh, it's mind-boggling, it's staggering. And, and of course, we can see the world as he sees the world, see, sees the world, but David Livingston said, sympathy is no substitute for action. Sympathy is no substitute for action. Listen, you can feel bad all you want. You can say, oh, I feel bad for those people. But if you do nothing about it, what's it? What does it mean to you? So secondly, First, we have to see the world as Jesus sees the world. But secondly, if you look in verse 37, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Second thing, you have to participate in the harvest. I remember growing up in Texas, and my grandfather had a farm out west Texas. And, and every, a few summers when I, was in, when I was in high school, he would call and ask me to come to the farm because I had to help him in the harvest. And so he farmed oats, and he had these big oat fields, and he needed my help because it was too much for one person. So we'd go there, and the fields would be kind of white to harvest, and, and he'd start, had his combine, he'd start running his combine, and I had to pick up, and I, got, I was 13, I got to drive his pickup. That's why I love going over there. Drive his pickup, and through the fields and everything, and, and uh, I could barely see over the steering wheel, and I, could, I drove the pickup to get the get the oats out of the combine, and then take them to the, to the barn. Harvest, participating in harvest means work. We have to participate. We all have to join in. You see, if you're on the farm, you don't say, hey, I'm taking off today. Oh, the harvest is in? Yeah, well, you know, one, two or three, you go take care of that. When you're on the farm, everybody participates in the harvest. Nobody gets to sit out that year. We all have to participate. You guys that have been farming before, you know this. When you're on the farm, everybody joins in on the harvest. In the same way with missions, we all have to participate. You may say, I'm not, I'll probably never go overseas, but there are ways you can participate. Let me give you a couple. First, faith promise. Pastor Bruce has graciously explained here about this faith promise missions program, and you guys have done wonderful. And you know what? That's a great way for everybody in here to participate in missions. 
It's more than just seeing and feeling sorry for someone or feeling sympathy for them in their condition, but it's doing something about it. You can pray. You can have a support role. Do you know that Paul, there were 24 people that are associated that travel with Paul. They weren't all teachers. Some of them were just travel companions that helped him out along the way. There are other support roles that you can take on, but you can participate. There's something for everyone. It says in the 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 through 9, it says, Paul's talking about this. He's talking about how we work together. And he says, And who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. Paul's making a point here. We all have different roles to play, but we're all part of the game. We all have different roles to play. We all should be participating. You know, we get this call from this guy about once every three or four months named Randy. And he's calling and saying, usually Randy sends me an email and says, can you do a video or something like that to encourage our church? Yeah, sure, no problem. And usually I forget about it for a couple weeks. Then he sends another email saying, now when could you do that, you know, a little greeting? But, you know, that's a role, that's a great way to participate. There are a lot of ways to participate. You may not go to the foreign field, but you can participate. If you say, I don't know what to do, Pastor Chris, Brother Adrian can tell you what to, how you can participate. The, the great thing about the harvest, it's a joyful time. It's when you're, you're reaping it. And what we're talking about this week, when you hear reports from the Netherlands, reports from South Africa, reports from Tunisia, from Tanzania, about a harvest. And what do we do? We go, oh man, no, we're going, yes, yes. Because when you participate in the harvest, you get to rejoice together with all the harvesters. Remember in Luke chapter 15 when Jesus, the Pharisees and Sadducees come to him. And they're kind of thinking that God hates sinners. But Jesus reminds them in three simple stories about a, about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And what happens at the end of each one of those stories? When Jesus brings this lost, the lost lamb home, it says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. There's rejoicing, it says, in the presence of the angels. You know, it's God rejoicing. You know, our Father rejoices when people come to Him, when people like Mama Baba Michael put their faith in Christ. But we all have to participate. You can't only just say, oh, what a tragedy, all these people of the world, no gospel, no Jesus. You have to figure out how you can participate in this. In verse 37 there is a problem. The harvest truly is plenteous. Even Jesus recognized. The laborers are many, few. The laborers are few. What happens in the, in the harvest time if, you know, if all of a sudden you're harvesting and there's two of you harvesting and 
And then all of a sudden, you see these big, dark clouds coming. Are you here on the news that, man, there is going to be a storm like no other storm? I mean, it's going to pour rain, the wind's going to blow, it's going to be devastating. If there's only two of you, what do you do? You go and get other people to help. When I was uh, a young man, I fought my grandfather's farm and we'd haul hay. Frequently, we'd know it's going to rain, so my, my grandfather would call my father and myself and my two uncles. And we would go to the farm and we'd all pitch in and all take our part to haul hay. And again, I was young, so I got to drive the truck. I was really excited about that. I didn't have to throw the bales in yet. As I got older, I had to throw the bales in. Back then, I could drive the truck. So I was excited about that. But you know what? We had to call extra people in to help because if we didn't, the hay would be lost or the oats would be lost and it would be a loss. And what a tragedy would be for the harvest that we see in front of us to be lost. So what do we need? First, we need to see the world as Jesus sees the world. Secondly, we all have to participate. Thirdly, we have to pray for more men and women. It says, therefore, it's like, because I said all this about the harvest. Now, here's the real, here's the real kicker. We need more laborers, more boots on the ground. You know, when back a few years ago, there was a big controversy that President Bush wanted to send. They were talking about pulling troops out of Iraq. And then all of a sudden, he comes in and the military advisors and say, no, we need to have a, a push. We need to add 40,000 more soldiers into the battle. Everybody went nuts, and there was all this controversy. And no matter what side of the fence you fall on that, the point was they needed more men. They needed more boots on the ground to be effective. So what happened? They put the troops in, and they were effective. And the tide of the war changed. We need more men. Men and women that are ready to say, yes, I'll go. There was a lady named Gladys Allward. She was a missionary to China back in the 1900s, early 1900s, and she said this about herself. I like it. She says, I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done for China. I don't know who was. It must have been a man, a well-educated man. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys Allward, and God said, well, she's willing. And God sent Gladys Allward. John Conrup, the, the uh, director of our mission board, he wrote an article in the Tribune one day about, about uh, why he thought their people weren't surrendering to missions like they had in the past. He came up with three, three uh, possibilities. First, our churches have changed the missions into a program. Missions has become a program like, uh, like WANAs, like various things, various programs, things for men, things for women. Then you have missions that's one of the many programs. Missions can't be a program. It has to be the backbone of what we do, our heartbeat of what we do. Because so, our goal as a church is to reach the world for Christ. Secondly, he said political climate. 
He said, now since 9-11, people are, people are more afraid to go. There's like all this turmoil in the world and all these wars and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. And man, the political climate of the world's changed. It's not so friendly for missionaries anymore. And he said, that's one of the reasons. And people ask me frequently, they'll say, man, are you, are you scared? Aren't you afraid of the Al-Qaeda and all that? Let me, let me share something pheno this phenomenal with you. When you get to Africa, God's not smaller. He's the same size. His arms aren't like this when he gets to Africa. They're, they're just as long as they are in America. He's big. He, the same God that protects me here in America from this wild driving here protects me in, Amer in Africa from that crazy driving over there. It's the same God. We can't be afraid because God is with us. The last thing he says, it's selfishness. He says people, they become selfish with their lives, and instead of wanting to give their lives, they're more concerned about their careers and success in their lives and, and where their future might take them. And you know what? And their parents are behind them, pushing them that way because they want their daughter or son to be a lawyer, a doctor, or whatever, and be successful in that way. Nate Saint said this, the... Nate saying of the missionaries that died in Al, in, uh, the, with the Aka Indians in, uh, a few, back in the 50s, he says, and people who do not know the Lord ask, why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries? They forget that they too are expending their lives, and when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. So what does he say? Christ says, therefore... It really means pray earnestly. It means like you yourselves, disciples, pray. Bring this before the Lord. We need more workers in the field. Look at this. I don't know how many names are on that list, but a lot. I think 7,000 or something like that. I mean, I can't do it all. You can't do it all. We need to pray that God will raise up an army of missionaries, an army of national missionaries an army of people that, that teachers and evangelists to go out and take the gospel to these tribes. I want you to pray this way. First, pray that we need, first pray for what kind of people we need. We need more church planters. We need more Bible translators. We need more Bible college teachers in our foreign seminaries and colleges. We need, just in the Tanzania, we need somebody to come be a camp director. We have a great evangelistic tool at camp, and we need some uh, American couple to come over, come over and be the camp director. Now, pray. First pray, say, God, send me. If you know it's not you, say, God, send my children. You know it's not your children. Say, God, please send my grandchildren. We got quiet, didn't it? God, send our church members. Then when you get past that, say, God, raise up national missionaries. If you remember on one of our little videos we watched this week, what country has the greatest potential for missionaries? China. China. The Philippines, they're starting to send out mission, they will start to send out missionaries by the thousands. Pray that God will bless them in their work. We have a Filipino couple that's a product of 
BBFI missionary missions from the 1950s that left the Philippines and are serving together with us in Tanzania. How do we get to zero? See the world like Jesus sees the world. Find a way to participate. Pray for more men. Getting to zero is a task. But William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Friends, let's attempt great things for God. Let's don't be satisfied with the status quo. Let's pray that God would send out an army of missionaries, an army of evangelists, pastors to the world that we can, we can bring this number down to zero. What is God asking you to do to get us to zero? Let's all stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, then turn this over to Pastor Bruce. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I want you this morning with head bowed and eyes closed, to ask yourself if there's more you can do for missions in this church. And if you're not doing anything, you're not giving, you say, God, I want to start today to give, to enable others to go. Secondly, I want to ask this congregation to commit, to pray that God will raise up more missionaries to take the gospel around the world. I want you to commit to at least one day a week to saying, God, raise up more men, raise up more women to take the gospel around the world. Our dear most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this chance to come speak at this church. God, as I read that passage, you said the harvest truly is plenteous. There's no shortage of souls, but the laborers are few. God, we beg you, O Lord of the harvest, bring more laborers into your field. That we might be an army, a big army of soldiers that are sold out and committed and ready to take your gospel, the good news, and the hope of Jesus Christ around the world. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With your head still bowed, I'm going to ask Bill and the praise team to come, and they're going to sing a chorus. And The response is pretty clearly explained by Mitch. And I'm asking you as a church family to respond right where you're standing. Come to this altar and pray. You say, what do I pray about? Pray exactly what Mitch challenged us to pray, to sin myself. Lord, would you send me? And if the answer is no, would you send my kids? And if the answer is no, send my grandkids. Pray about, God, what would you have me to give when it comes to faith promise giving for 2014? Make it a matter of prayer. And so will you respond? Will you come to this altar? If you're not comfortable with that, right there where you're standing, wherever the, you're at, will you respond in some manner or form? to God's word here this morning as Bill and the praise team sings.